When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Solidago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking about preparing your winter apothecary. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism be as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. Today, I want to talk about the necessary staples to have in your home apothecary for maintaining health through the winter or for protecting yourself against common winter flu viruses that are around and also um, how you can support yourself maybe if you were to contract a virus. And so now is the time, or even before now, is the time to really think about getting stocked up. Because when you start getting sick, or you start feeling sick, or if your family comes down with something, you're not really going to have the time or the energy to prepare your herbal preparations to get through the time. I mean, some things, like you can make a cup of tea, but you might want to already have the tea available and easy to access because let's face it, when we're sick, we can barely even get out of bed. Nonetheless, like think about what we need to make for ourselves to make ourselves feel better. So we're going to talk about a handful of things that we can make now and just have on hand in our kitchen or in our home apothecary um, that we can easily to break out and you know put the finishing touches on uh, when the time arises that we may need them. Number one that I want to start out with is elderberry, of course, the classic winter flu remedy and preventative. 
well, maybe not so preventative, but if you hear of something going around or if you feel like there's a flu going around or even if COVID is around, then some really good precautions to take are having a little bit of elderberry uh, syrup is my preferred or oxymel, some sort of elderberry in your life on a daily basis. It doesn't have to be every day all winter long, but it's definitely if you think you've been exposed, it's a good time to start taking some elderberry because elderberry has an amazing ability to inhibit viral replication so that our body can, you know, really attack the viruses that are there and eliminate them before the viruses really get a strong hold on our system. So it's just a, an assist to our immune system, among other things that it does. And you can check out episode 36 to get into a whole lot of detail about elderberry and elderflower. But those are two herbs that I like to have on hand. I like to have elderflowers dried on hand. You can easily purchase them if you didn't happen to harvest any in the beginning of July when they're blooming. And they are a little bit expensive, so I like to just have them on hand as needed. And that's what I really like to use if there's like a lot of congestion in the sinuses, um, is a nice tea with some honey. It's really nice for children because it tastes good and it's very kind of mild but effective. And I would just put tea in my child's water bottle for her to take to school or just for her to drink throughout the day if she's not going to school, if she's feeling under the weather or has some sort of mucousy congestion, either from a cold or even like after recovering from a cold, that residual mucus. Elderflower tea is also really beneficial for helping to modulate a fever and it tastes good, like I said. Elderberry syrup, I like to just make, I mean, you could find a gazillion different elderberry recipes, elderberry syrup recipes out there in books and on the internet. And it can start to feel overwhelming and complicated because it's like, oh, do I need all of these ingredients? But really, all you need to do is just make a straight up elderberry syrup and to have it on hand in the fridge. It's really easy to do. You get some dried elderberries, which they're so common now. You can easily order them, order a pound online from an herbal distributor or even, you know, other distributors online. Just make sure it's a good quality, ideally organically grown. And then you want to have some honey. And if you have like children under the age of one, then you could use sugar or you could use something else or is it under the age of one or two? I can't remember that they don't like you to have honey for babies. But so it's elderberry, dried elderberries, water and honey is the most basic recipe that you can get. And it tastes fine. And if it, if it, it does taste like a little sour, bitter, like my daughter doesn't necessarily love the flavor of elderberry. So you can just put it in a little bit of juice at the end to just like hide it a little bit or in a smoothie. And that's fine too. Or in some tea or dilute it in the water bottle. And that's all good. 
but very basic elderberry syrup. You buy a pound of dried elderberries and you measure out how much that is and you put that in a pot and then you put in twice as much water as that amount. So you have twice as much water to dried elderberries and then you simmer it on your stovetop for probably around half an hour or so. You want the water to reduce by half and that's where you know you've got like a nice strong extraction. So half an hour to an hour of simmering and you can, um, you want the, the tea to look like really, really dark purple when it's done, the decoction, and to measure how, how, how do you know that half of your water is, is gone? I like to use a, um, like a wooden spoon and I put the handle in the pot when I first pour the water in and I make a mark. Usually I just kind of dig it in with a knife or with my fingernail, just like a really, really small mark you would never notice, but if you know it's there, it's there. And then, um, so you know what a full, what the full amount of water is measured. And then you can use that as your ruler. So then, you know, half an hour goes by and you want to take another measurement. You stick that same wooden handle in the pot of water and you take it out and it's going to have a wet mark as to where your water is now. And if it's about halfway from where it was originally, you're good to go. Then you want to take, so then you want to strain it out and squeeze out all those elderberries so you get all of the moisture, as much of the water that's in the elderberries out and into your measuring cup or your jar or whatever it's going to fit in. And then you take, so you measure that amount of water, say it's, say it's two cups of water that's left over. Then you want to add half that amount of honey. So you could do a cup of honey and you put that in the water and the water should still be warm when you do this so that the honey can easily stir in and meld completely and there you have it that's your super easy basic elderberry syrup so in a pinch you could make this when you were sick or feeling starting to feel sick or when your family's sick but it's also just really nice to have on hand now you can add, a lot of people like to add like cinnamon or cloves or, you know, some sort of pumpkin spicy kind of blend to their elderberry syrup just to give it some nice flavor, which is fine. Um, or you could add a little apple juice to sweeten it up a little bit. But I just kind of like to do that at the end. Like if I'm going to give it to my daughter and she doesn't, she's not in the mood for that flavor, I'll just put it in a little apple juice and it's good to go. Uh, or apple cider is really nice too. And what else do I want to say about elderberry? It's also really good in smoothies, water, tea, bubbly water. Um, you can even make some fun mocktails or cocktails for your friends. Uh, it makes a great holiday gift to give to people. And then what I like to do, I mean, those berries, those dried berries that have been decocted, they actually still have a lot to give left in them. So I like to make an oxymel with them, and which means I just take those dried berries and I put them in a jar and then I, I put, and they're already pretty saturated. So, I mean, I don't like it so that the elderberries totally fill the jar, but if they fill, you know, half of the jar, 
or a little bit more, that's fine. And then I put three quarters or two thirds of the jar with apple cider vinegar, roughly in that range. And then I do the rest with honey. And I just let that steep for as long as I want. I still have some steeping from like probably even two years ago. And that's fine. And then I just pour it off when I need it. Or if I'm out of elderberry syrup, I can use that as a backup. It's not going to be as complete as the elderberry syrup, I would say, but it still has a lot of elderberry flavor and color in it. And that that could also just kind of be your daily elderberry tonic. And then when you really feel like you have been exposed or you're sick or getting sick, then you could go right to your more concentrated elderberry syrup. And that's fine too. So two different ways to have elderberry and the oxymel does not need to be refrigerated as long as you pasteurize your apple cider vinegar before you make your oxymel. And what I mean by that is you take your apple cider vinegar and you simmer it in a pot or you bring it up to a boil. So you put it in a pot, a non-metal pot because cider, I mean, vinegar and metal is highly reactive with each other. So it could be an enamel lined pot. It could be a Pyrex pot and you boil, bring it up to a boil, remove it from the heat and let it sit and cool to room back to room temperature is how you pasteurize your vinegar. And that way you don't have to worry about any of the life that's in the vinegar, the yeast, the mother interacting and turning funky with your herbs and your honey. And it extends the shelf life, basically, of your oxymel. A lot of people are like, but wait, don't I want the mother? Don't I want like the life in the apple cider vinegar? And yes, like you can ingest apple cider vinegar if you want that mother in small amounts um, on its own. But when we're making herbal remedies, it's just really nice to eliminate that as an option because what we're really just using the vinegar as is a solvent. We don't really need the living mother in it to add to the to add to the medicine and in fact it can also in some in some instances spoil your medicine especially if you plan to have it around for a while so super simple elderberry syrup have it in your fridge have your elderberry oxymel on the shelf ready to go and then have your elderflower um in a jar ready to make teas and the tea I just do a, a teaspoon to a tablespoon of the elderberry flower per cup of water in a tea and I usually make it in a teapot and let it steep for 20 minutes for more information check out episode 36 on elderberry next up uh, for your home winter apothecary, herbal apothecary, we want to have an echinacea root tincture on hand. Now, to buy an echinacea root tincture, it can get pretty expensive. And echinacea is a plant that you want to actually take in pretty large doses. It's a plant that is really cost effective if you can make your own really cost effective. It'll save you a large amount of money. If you want to hear a whole hour long episode all about echinacea, uh, check out episode 35 of the Healthy Herb Podcast. 
But right now, I thought I would actually make an echinacea root tincture right now while I'm talking to you just to show you how easy and simple it can be. So to start out, I buy a pound of echinacea angustifolia, and this is from Frontier Co-op, 16 ounces, and it's certified organic, which is good. You want to make sure that it is grown echinacea angustifolia because wild harvested angustifolia is, um, you know, it's. I would say it's an endangered or at-risk plant in the wild. So make sure that you find it grown. This is Frontier Co-op that I got it from. And it's in a foil bag that I'm just going to cut open. And then I have a one-quart mason jar that I'm going to pour the root into. So here it goes. Okay. So I still have a lot in my bag, but I have filled my, my one quart mason jar halfway up with this cut and sifted echinacea root. And it smells, it smells beautiful. It actually smells like an herb shop to me, like flashbacks to working in herb shops. Okay, and then I have uh, 100 proof vodka, which is 50% alcohol and 50% water, essentially. And this I just get from my local grocery store. It is nothing fancy. It's bottom shelf vodka, but it's absolutely fine as a solvent for, for herbs, and it's just easy to access. And then I just fill my mason jar to the top with the 100 proof vodka. And then as the echinacea absorbs in the vodka, it's gonna grow. So it'll look like the jar will be totally full of the echinacea root. And this is a pretty um, strong ratio. So some people would maybe only fill the jar with echinacea so that it's maybe a third full or a quarter full of echinacea root, and then fill it with the vodka. And that's fine, too. And then I have my mason jar lid. So I have a little airspace. I don't have it so that the vodka is actually touching the mason jar lid. And I screw it on. And I give it a little shake. And then I will put a label on this with, that says what it is. Um, so organic echinacea angustifolia root. And I'll put the date and I'll put 100 proof vodka on it. And then I'm just going to let it sit sit on my shelf. But I'm going to not, it's not going to be in the sunlight, but it's going to be somewhere visible to me so I can watch it. And if it seems like the echinacea root is growing, 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 so that it's too full, then I will um, put it in a bigger jar and add more vodka. So that's super easy folk method. I'm not doing any measurements, hardly. I'm just kind of eyeballing it. And it will make a really nice, um, effective, strong echinacea tincture. 
at a fraction of the cost of buying one in the store. And it's really important if you're making it from the dried angustifolia that, or from the dried echinacea root that you get the angustifolia species and not the purpurea species. Because the purpurea, once it's dried, really can lose a lot of its um, efficacy versus the angustifolia for some reason seems to hold it more. Okay, so there you go. There's your echinacea root tincture. And really, it could sit for up to a year. I mean, it could sit forever like this, but ideally it sits for a year. So you could even make two. If you don't have any, you can make one for next year and one for this year, and then you can always stay a year ahead. And you can just, as you need it, even if it's if it's like only a few weeks has gone by and you like really need some echinacea tincture, you can still pour a little bit off the top and work with that. But And it might be even good to do that because then as it goes, you can watch it and taste it develop and see how the tincture matures if you just take a little taste off the top every once in a while. Generally with tinctures, it's a six week is like the standard wait time until they're ready. But with dried um, especially dried roots and tougher material a little bit long, you know, longer up to a year is good. And then say you already have your echinacea tincture and you've already decanted it and it's good to go. You know, you have like last year's tincture that you made, you've strained it out, it's ready to go, but you still have all this like saturated alcohol, saturated echinacea root, and you can make an echinacea uh, tincture tea with that. So basically you just take that echinacea root and pour boiling hot water over it in the jar that you are tincturing it in is fine. And then, you know, let that sit for 20 or so minutes and you can pour it off and you can use that as if it's like a very mild tincture. It still will have enough alcohol in it. It needs to have about 25% alcohol to be shelf stable. And it will have enough alcohol in it to be shelf-stable for a while. And then you can just keep doing that until you basically have only water left, you know. And it will be less and less shelf-stable over time. But it's a good way to kind of get out all of the tincture that's kind of trapped in that echinacea root. Because it's really hard to squeeze it all out unless you have a commercial tincture press. So that's your echinacea. Ready to go in your cabinet macerating. Next herb that I really like to have in my winter herbal apothecary on hand is astragalus root, which I have talked about. I talked a little bit about in last week's episode, and eventually I will do a full episode, surely, on astragalus root. And I like to make an astragalus root infusion um, or a decoction. So basically a decoction is with that you make with most um, hard, you know, dried berries, roots, seeds, unless you're really going for the aromatic seeds, then you can just make a tea, say with like fennel seed. But a lot of your really tough plant material, you need to simmer it to really get a good extract from it versus um, just letting it steep in hot water like you would a tea. Unless you steep it in hot water for a long time um, in, in a very large amount of root, like in the astragalus root infusion. So there's, I like to make 
a nourishing infusion with astragalus root where I weigh out one ounce of the astragalus root and I put it in a quart jar and I pour boiling water over it to the tippy top, put a lid on it, and then I let it sit for like eight to 10 hours out on my countertop. And then I strain it out and it's this like beautiful, sweet, kind of milky infusion that you have to drink. And then you want to drink that within a couple days. It or even just within 24 hours. And, you know, one quart of astragalus root a week as like a general just immune system support through the winter is great. And it's also great for children. This root infusion, you could pour it into ice cube trays and freeze it, and then you could kind of use it as like a bouillon that you would add to soup stocks, and you could add it to uh, rice water, rice cooking water, or you could just have it on hand to make tea with if you wanted. The, another way that you can make astragalus root tea is by decocting it. So you would make, similar to how we made the elderberry syrup, you would just simmer it in water. But it doesn't have to be as strong as the elderberry syrup. So what I usually do is for every cup of water, I would use a tablespoon or more of cut and sifted astragalus root. So I would put the tablespoon in the cold water, bring it up to a boil. So say you want to make four cups of decoction, it would be four tablespoons of root in four cups of cold water in a pot, bring it up to a boil, reduce it to a simmer as if you were cooking rice, put a lid on it, let it simmer for 20 to 40 minutes, and then remove it from the heat and then it's good to go. You can also get astragalus, uh, sliced astragalus root. I feel like it was easier to get before astragalus became so popular. You could get like tongue depressor size astragalus root slices. Those usually come from China though, so you kind of have to be careful with making sure it's organic and where it's coming from, where you're sourcing it from. But those are really nice that you, I mean, they literally look like tongue depressors and you can put them into a soup as you're cooking it and then just take it out before you eat the soup. I recently bought some that looked like they were tongue depressors, but it was really what they were is it was like compressed root, like the root had been shredded a lot and then they compressed it into these slices, which... Um, is fine. You could also use that because it would still maintain its integrity. Um, and then you could take it out and it would be kind of like soft and mushy, but it would still all be one piece because you don't want pieces of astragalus root in your soup because it will taste like little woody splinters <laughs> in your soup, which you don't want, or in your rice. We'll get into some more items for your winter apothecary herbal pantry. In just a moment, stick with me and I'll be right back. Up, 
I always like to have some bone broth either cooking or in my freezer. And this, you know, obviously we were just talking about putting astragalus root in soups. And soups are so nice in the wintertime and so nice for when we're not feeling well because they're really easy to digest and assimilate and they cook for a nice long time so they can really extract a lot of nutrition from the food that they are cooking in, that are being cooked in (laughs) the broth. So there's a lot of, I mean, bone broth is really simple. It's basically simmered bones. It's basically making a decoction with bones. Um, So if you have, uh, if you roasted a chicken and you have the carcass left over, you've pulled all the meat off of it, just take that carcass and put it in a crock pot. I personally really like the flavor of chicken bone broth the best. It's milder, I feel like. And Um, So you have your carcass and you cover it with water and then you put in a tablespoon of of vinegar because vinegar helps to kind of break down the bones and to extract the minerals from it. And you won't taste the vinegar in the, the stock at all. And then I like to add like an onion, just rough chop an onion, some garlic, whole cloves, smashed whole cloves is good. Um, Any kind of veggie scraps you might have that like tops of carrots or tops of celery, um, whatever. If you, you know, if you cook a lot of veggies and you save the parts that you don't cook, then you can add those. Like that would be how you'd make a veggie stock, right? Um, We usually end up giving those to our chickens, so we don't have a lot of that. So I'll just add in some veggies to add the flavor. And then I'll add in some kelp, some sort of seaweed slices. Um, I'll put that in there. And then I liked, if you have like dried mushrooms, like a reishi mushroom or shiitake mushrooms, you could put a little bit of that in there. Uh, And then you could put some astragalus root in there if you want. And you could put some aromatic herbs like thyme or sage and then just basically simmer it all for at least 24 hours. Really, you want the bones to be kind of crumbly by the time you're done. So at least the chicken bones, because they're pretty hollow anyway. But you don't want to overcook it. You don't want it to be like caramelized or like kind of burnt, because that's like, for me, that's too much flavor. I like it halfway in between. And then what I like to do is I strain all that bone broth out and then I pour it into ice cube trays and I, and I freeze them. And then I take the ice cube trays of bone broth and store them in a bag in the freezer. And then I use those in cooking. So in soups, in beans, in gravy bases or sauce bases. And it's delicious and it's full of nutrition and really easily digestible and assimilable nutrition. And if you're really sick, sometimes just like having your bone broth, adding a little bit of miso to it and warming it up and sipping on that is 
really good if you don't if you can't hold down solid food, but you really feel like you need a nutritional boost, and so that it can be really beneficial. Miso is another thing I'd like to always have in my kitchen in my fridge in the winter time. It's excellent for the immune system. It's a great source of protein and it has active live cultures in it, which helps support the immune system. Um, there are some really high quality misos that you can get now in like glass jars. I think it's like South River or North River or something like that makes a really good one. And there's lots of different, you can get either light colored or dark colored misos, red misos, and the light colored ones are milder in flavor and the darker ones are stronger in flavor. And a really easy miso broth is basically bring some water up to boil, remove it from the heat for every cup of water. I'll use like um, a teaspoon of miso and I like to kind of put it in a tea strainer and I put the miso paste in the tea strainer and then I hold it on the surface of the water and press it through so that you don't get all the chunks because there's a lot of chunks in the miso. Some people like that, like the bean chunks, but I personally like like a nice clear miso broth. So kind of mashing it with a spoon through a tea strainer and then, um, into your hot water and then and you don't want the water to be boiling hot and it's really cool because then you'll see it bloom almost like when you um, make yeast in warm water for bread you kind of see it bloom and you can see like the active life culture in the warm water kind of come to life which is beautiful and then drinking that as a broth is really nice for enhancing the immune health and then if you want you can add veggies to it if you feel up for it um but you also, you know, so if you're making a miso soup, you always want to add the miso at the very end so that you don't kill the live cultures. Along those lines of live cultured food for immune health is uh, sauerkraut. And sauerkraut, very simple, basic sauerkraut. These also have made a huge um popularity these days in health food stores so you can get really amazing lacto-fermented vegetables right in the health food store they're a little pricey um, but you could get carrots or beets or cabbage or what have you but if you want to make just a really super simple sauerkraut to have at home in your fridge um, you can make it with cabbage and it has after cabbage is fermented into sauerkraut, it has a really, really high amount of vitamin C in it. And you can also just kind of get more nutrition from food once it's fermented. So you get all that nutrition. Plus it has the live active cultures that help to improve our live cultures in our gut and help to um, improve our immune response and health. Now, I would say too much fermented food is just too much, but a little bit every day can be really beneficial. And if you start to feel getting sick, then a little, then a little bit more every day could be also beneficial. So cabbage, uh, yeah, sauerkraut, cabbage sauerkraut is really easy. It's just sliced cabbage, slice it thinly or chop it up really finely, however you like it. 
and put it in a bowl and just kind of massage it with salt so that you can, I think it's like a tablespoon of salt per a quart full of cabbage. I could be wrong on that. Um, it's, it tends to be a lot of salt. It's like shockingly a lot of salt, but, and then you kind of want to massage the salt in with the cabbage in a bowl until it starts, um, you know, letting out some moisture, which is one thing that the salt's really good at doing. And once you start kind of breaking down the cabbage and massaging it and getting some of that moisture out, then you want to shove it into a glass mason jar and just pack it, pack it, pack it, pack it. Some people like to pound it with like a wooden pounder and you want to get as much in there so there's hardly any air space and you want it so that ideally all those juices that are coming out of the cabbage are going to cover the cabbage. So you'll have the cabbage pounded in, no air spaces, really tightly packed that already has the salt incorporated into it and then the cabbage juice just covering the cabbage in the jar and the jar full to the top. If you don't have enough cabbage juice to cover the cabbage, you can add some water to it to cover it. And then you put a tight lid on it and you let it sit out on your counter for days and days and basically let it ferment. And then you kind of check the top of your mason jar to make sure that there's it still pops up and down, like there's still airspace in it, because you don't want there to be so much gas bubbling up that you're jar is going to explode. I feel like some people might actually put a breathable top on it too. I'm not a sauerkraut making expert. I have done it before. This is how I've done it. And then once you feel like it's fermented enough and you want to kind of slow the fermentation down, um, you know, you can pop the cap to let it breathe to like let some of that air out but then put the cap back on and put it in your fridge and the cold will just kind of like slow and kind of halt the fermentation as to where it is and then there you go fermented cabbage and you can get real fancy with it and a lot of people like to add make kimchi where they add like really spice a lot of spice to it but I would say uh, spice can kind of be irritating and cause inflammation. So, I mean, it could be really great for clearing the sinuses if you have a, a cold and you need to clear your sinuses. But for general like health maintenance, the spicy sauerkrauts and kimchi can actually um, be irritating and pro-inflammatory. Now, also, if you have some wild juniper berries in your area and you want to throw like five or six wild juniper berries into your sauerkraut, that is a traditional way of making it and it adds an amazing flavor to it. So I definitely recommend that. Or even if you have a couple dried juniper berries, you can throw them in. Something else that I like to have on hand in my winter kitchen is aromatic herbs. And these are great for teas and steams. So I like to add, I like to have thyme, um, oregano, mint, and 
sage are my are my top favorites. If you can still harvest them, get out there, harvest them, put them in a jar, cover them with honey, and make some nice aromatic honeys, especially your sage leaves, which this is a reminder to me that I still haven't made my sage honey, and I need to do that. Um, cut up your sage into tiny, tiny pieces, put it in a jar, cover it with honey, and just let it sit like that. And then anytime you have a sore throat, sage, honey is really helpful for um, killing infection in the throat. It's astringent and so it can kind of like tighten uh, the mucous membranes and um, tone them and then and like reduce the inflammation of them. And the honey is anti-infective and very soothing and it you can also just take a scoop of your sage honey with the sage leaves in it and put it in a mug and pour boiling water over it and make a nice sage honey tea that is also really beneficial for sore throat for soothing sore throats. The other really nice thing that you can do with your aromatic herbs is just dry them or have them buy them dried, whatever, and make uh, tea with them when you feel cold coming on. Thyme tea is great. And then the other thing you can do is make an herbal steam with them, which we did talk about in detail in last week's podcast. But a quick overview is you basically, your aromatic herbs, you can choose one or a, a variety of them. And you want to put them in a pot of boiling hot water and then take this pot and then put a lid on it and let them steep for just a few minutes. And then you want to bring them over to a table, put the pot on a trivet, put a towel over your head, take the lid off the pot and breathe in that aromatic steam. Don't get too close that it's going to burn, but just breathe it in and that will help to break up congestion in the sinuses and the lungs. Um, and it will just really help to open the respiratory area tract. You can also, um, if you feel like the house is really stuffy or there might be a lot of germs floating around the house, if you have a bunch of kids and they've all been sick or whatever, you can just kind of steam your house. You can just let those aromatic herbs, you don't have to put up your head directly over it. You can just kind of let them fill the air of the house. This is also nice to do with any evergreens like um, balsam fir or pine needles that you can harvest throughout the winter and you just put them in a pot and let them fill the air of your house to kind of freshen it and kill off any microbes that might be floating around. Um, you could also do this if you have a wood stove and you have a pot of water to hydrate the air on top of your wood stove. You can also put some herbs and needles in that. You just want to make sure that you don't simmer out all your water and then the herbs will like burn onto your pot. So just keep an eye and keep adding water and change it out once they aren't releasing any more, um, any more scent or aroma. And this is natural scent therapy, which is just as effective in my mind as aromatherapy with essential oils. But um, in, in concentrations that our body is meant to naturally relate to, connect with, and and enjoy, where the essential oils are way too concentrated for our health and healing. And 
if you go through a span of time where you totally eliminate essential oils from your life, from your products, from your shampoo, from anything, and then you you will really notice that when you are exposed to essential oils, how incredibly intense they are. Uh, I know this because I used to be way into essential oils and aromatherapy. I had a whole box full of them and it was a part of my life. And I discovered that these are actually not healthy and that they are drug forms of the herb and that they can actually deplete our immune health, among other things, and our digestive health. And so I totally eliminated essential oils from my life. And the other day I was at the gym because my daughter is in swim class and a woman was taking a shower in the locker room using, um, I think it was probably Dr. Bronner's tea tree oil shampoo. And I was so repulsed. It was so, I, it just felt like I was poisoned and all through, like I, got home and I could still smell it in my nose. And it had like her one 10 minutes of showering and shampooing. It like filled the whole entire locker room with this really intense scent of tea tree. And it, I just, I, whoa, okay. That's my little rant on essential oils, but just let's work with herbs or aromatic herbs in their natural states. Cause that's how, we're meant to work with them. Okay, so what else? So I like to have um, really well-cooked foods in the wintertime because, again, like this is how we are able to get the most nutrition from our well-cooked plant foods, which, you know, I'm talking about here. So well-cooked plant foods are easy on digestion. We can assimilate the nutrients really well. They're energetically warming. Um, Even if you're into Ayurveda, eating with the seasons, like this is the time that we eat really well-cooked and stewed fruits, well-cooked foods. If we start eating a lot of salads and raw foods, we're going to cool down our body, cool down our energetics. We're going to limit the nutrition that we eat with every meal. Um. And this is when people are like, wait, what? What is she talking about? I thought we got the most nutrition from raw food. But this is a misnomer. And really, the truth of the matter is that you need to change your food structure if you're going to break that cell wall and extract the mineral and and nutritions that are held within the cell wall you think of a plant cell wall, you know, it looks like a brick wall. Think back to high school biology class. Animals have membranes, which are very thin and, you know, makes us very um, easy to get injured. (laughs) And plants have very strong, they have membranes, but they also have very strong cell walls made up of cellulose, which makes them like woody like tree-like, it makes them very. It makes it so you can drive over them, and they will still survive. Um, unlike animals, so plants have very in- strong integrity to their cells because they can't run away from danger. So they have to have their protection in their body, and 
there are five different ways that we can break those cell walls open. One way is by cooking for a long time. And this is like if you're cooking your greens, your kale, your collards, you need to cook it for at least an hour on like a simmering low heat or in a soup or in a crock pot. You need to see a structural change in that leaf um, if you're actually going to get the nutrition from it. Fermentation. We talked about fermenting sauerkraut. Fermentation is another great way to break those cell walls. Freezing. Freezing is another great way to break those cell walls because the water that's in them will expand and burst the cell wall. Um, freezing. So cooking uh, or eating frozen food in your smoothies are going to be a lot better than eating raw food in your smoothies. Dehydration is another way of breaking that cell wall. So that's what we do with our herbs and our nutritious plants. And covering in oil, like pestos. Um, you can see that oil really changing the nature and uh, breaking down. So if you think about if you've put salad dressing on a salad and it sits too long, or you put it in the fridge and that lettuce kind of starts to deteriorate, that's that oil breaking down those cell walls. So... If you really want to get the most nutrition from your food, you're either going to cook it for a long time from your plant food. You're going to cook it for a long time. You're going to roast it in the oven, make soups or simmer on the stovetop in a little bit of water for over an hour. You are going to ferment your food. You're going to dehydrate it. You're going to freeze it or you're going to cover it in oil and marinate it. Also in the wintertime, well, and throughout the year, I really like to keep up with my nourishing herbal infusion rotation. And so if you've been listening to me for a while, then you've heard this and I learned this from Susan Weed and it really changes lives and it's really beneficial for everyone. And so it's basically rotating through five super nourishing, nutritious herbs drinking a nourishing infusion of one per day in a quart jar. So the first day, and this is how we made, the same way that we made the astragalus root infusion. So you're going to weigh out your herb to an ounce. This is a weight measurement, not a volume measurement. And it's going to be a lot of dried herb, okay? You're going to be like, this is way too much. What is she talking about? But it's not. It's it's the right amount. So you weigh out one ounce of dried herb, you put it in your quart jar, cover it with boiling water, let it sit four to eight hours, strain it out, squeeze out the herb material, and you're good to go. And you want to drink that within 24 hours and keep it refrigerated as well, because there's a lot of protein in these herbs that I'm going to mention. And they like up to 20 to 25% protein. And so they will rot pretty quickly. So it's a quick turnover, drink your infusion, one per day. Stinging nettle is one day. Oat straw is the next day. Comfrey leaf is another day. Make sure it's the leaf of comfrey. Linden is another day. And red clover blossom is another day. And these herbs, I've actually talked about most of these herbs in previous podcasts. Nettle was episode 15. Comfrey leaf was episode 31. Linden was episode two, and also an introduction to nourishing herbal infusions. And red clover blossom was episode 22. 
And I still have yet to do oat straw, but I will do that in the near future. So basically, we make nourishing herbal infusions to this strength with non-aromatic herbs. So we already talked about our aromatic herbs. Those we're going to make teas with. Those we're just going to use a teaspoon to a tablespoon of the dry herb per cup of water and let it steep for 20 minutes so that we don't concentrate those volatile oils, but we maintain them in the right amounts. With our really nutritious, rich herbs that we really want to get like all of the minerals from, they're not highly aromatic and we want to get the protein from, we're going to weigh out an ounce. The linden flower, that's an exception. You can do a half ounce of the linden. It's um, an excellent anti-inflammatory, which is why it's in the rotation, even though it doesn't necessarily have a lot of minerals or protein to it. But the nettle, the oat straw, the comfrey leaf, the red clover blossom, super, super nutritious and will keep your immune system functioning optimally throughout the winter. Okay, and then a couple other things that I like to have on hand for the really dry skin that we can get in the wintertime. I like to have a jar of jojoba oil or a little bottle. It doesn't take much. It's basically just like a natural serum. You don't have to go out and spend $50 on like this special eye serum. You can just find a bottle of pure jojoba oil, which is J-O-J-O-B-A, even though it's pronounced jojoba. It looks like jojoba oil. And that's actually, it's actually closer to a wax than an oil, but it's liquid at room temperature. And it is the closest um, animal, I mean, sorry, the closest plant uh, oil or wax to our own body's sebum. So it's really excellent at uh, bringing moisture and nourishment to our skin. Another thing that brings moisture to our skin is honey. So even doing like rinsing your face and keeping the moisture on your face and then putting a thin coat of honey on really dry areas can also help to really bring moisture into your skin. I also, a couple other things I like to have on hand is goldenrod tea, which is my favorite for like relieving extreme congestion. And that I talk a lot about in episode 33. It's actually the most popular and listened to episode to date. So check that out if you haven't already. And then um, mullein milk chai, which I talked in extent in episode 30. And then I also talked about it last week as well. So I'm not going to go into it again. But just for recovering from lung infections or bronchitis or just like uh, really if your lungs feel like they need some healing and nourishment, then making a mullein nourishing infusion and then adding milk and chai, warming it up with milk and honey and some chai spices um, is going to be delicious and very nourishing and a super cozy drink to have on hand for the wintertime that is also healing. So that's a nice short list or maybe it seems like a long list of checklist for sure of herbs to have on hand and remedies to have on hand in your winter apothecary, um, and all really, you know, easy things to have on hand. You don't have to go out and spend hundreds of dollars on supplements to be healthy this winter. Just have your elderberry syrup, your elderflower tea, your echinacea root tincture, 
your astragalus root infusion, some bone broth in your freezer, some sauerkraut in your fridge, some aromatic herbs for steams and teas and honeys. Eat your food well-cooked. Drink your nourishing herbal infusions. Moisturize with jojoba oil. And you should be in pretty good shape this winter. Let me know how it goes. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you. And if you appreciate me too and the information that I share on the Healthy Herb Podcast, I would love a five-star rating and a short review. I really value your feedback. You can also subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Uh, They come out weekly, usually on Thursdays. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, uh, my website, all with the tag Solidago Herb School. Or also the Healthy Herb Podcast on Instagram. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Doherty. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.